Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, I'll be reading from the NIV Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And just listen to me. I always want to say that to see how many people are like, okay, I will, right? Because it's almost like it gets a little nap time sometimes. I get it. We've been in the service for a little while. But telling somebody to listen is a pretty big deal. Maybe you've actually said those words to someone before. Um, you know, I, I think, and it's not like we, we get to a, a point in the course of a natural conversation and we say, listen to me. Right? Normally that's almost a, it feels like a, a time of almost exasperation. It's not like we're just in the middle of a conversation and we're talking and, you know, we're shooting the breeze. Chewing the fat, right? And we're just <laughs> chilling and talking, and the other person is talking back, and then we're like, listen to me. You don't do that. Normally, the time that we use those three words, listen to me, is because we we think, or else we're pretty sure that we know that the person we are talking to is not listening to us, right? Now, now sometimes maybe that happens with children. Have you ever been talking to a child and you know that child isn't paying a bit, well that was quick, Carla, a, a bit of attention, right? They're not paying no attention to nothing that you're saying. So if you're talking to a child and you know that the child is not paying attention, what are, they're not listening to you, what are some things that you can do to help them listen to what you're saying if you're talking to a child? Take your hands and make them look at you. Make them look at you, okay. Get down on their level. Get quiet. Okay. All those are great, right? Um, so, so make them look at you. There's something important about eye contact. We teach that as manners with, with children, I hope, too. When, when someone's speaking, actually look at them. It's a sign of respect. Getting down on their level. Love that, that idea, too, right? So, so the idea of coming from up here and coming down on someone's level to be able to get down where they are. There's, there's, a, there's a spiritual component to this one we're going to come back to in just a minute, okay? But there's something important 
about coming down onto their level to be able to get them to listen to what you're saying, right? And then getting quieter. Sometimes in our exasperation, we just want to get louder, right? Sometimes when we know somebody's not talking, we think, well, the louder that I get, right, mamas, the louder that I get, the more they're going to pay attention to what I'm saying. And actually, psychologically, the exact opposite is true. When you get louder, it does not mean that you're heard more. It's actually when you get quieter, when you get softer in what you're saying, the person is hearing you better. So all those things are important with, with a child, right? But it's not just children who don't always listen to what we're saying, right? Have you ever been married? <laughs> or had a boyfriend or girlfriend? There are times, right, even with this other adult that we are talking to, that we know that they are not listening to what they're saying. And, and we, get, we get better as we get older about the fake eye contact, right? Because sometimes, I'm just being honest, I'm being honest, there have been times where I have been talked to and I am making good eye contact, right? Because I'm good at that, but I am hearing nothing that you're saying, right? I don't want you to automatically think that's always the case when you talk to me. I'm just trying to be honest and, and say that. What are things that you can do with another adult then to help um, make sure that they are listening to what you're saying? Yes, good question. Hey, you can ask them some questions, right? Mute the TV. Mute the TV. That's a good one, too. Right? We're going to come back to, to those. Those are great. Those are, those are important things that we can do, right? And how you ask the question is important as well. Because it doesn't always work. Are you listening to me? Not, not you, Jesse. Because that's not always the best thing. Because then it's like, yes, I'm listening to you, right? And then it's just we're getting more and more, and it's, it's not working. Okay, today we're going to talk about listening and hearing and what God is saying to us as well. Last week, we finished a sermon series called The Good Life. It was three weeks looking at Matthew chapter 5. A whole lot of things that Jesus said, right? Next week, actually Wednesday night, we began a new six-week series for Lent called Encounters. We're going to be looking at scripture every week of Jesus having an encounter with someone and how that person is changed or not by the encounter. We're going to look at how we are called to have encounters with God, but also how we have encounters with other people and how our relationship and our encounter with God actually shapes our encounters with other people. And I say that because I like preaching sermon series. Part of that is, is we get some cool logo or graphic that we're able to use and, and the repetition of the picture, right, the visual part, it just helps me. Also, if we're planning out a sermon series, at least I have an idea um, of, of maybe where God is, is, is leading us as a church and in Scripture, so those are very beneficial and very helpful to me as well. Today is different. Today is not part of any series. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. This is a pretty big deal in the life of the church. Um, Transfiguration Sunday is the Sunday before Lent begins. The first day of Lent is Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday. 
which means this coming Wednesday, there's no dinner here, right? We meet in here at 6.30 for worship for Ash Wednesday to begin the season of Lent. Who, who anybody never been to an Ash Wednesday service before? Okay, a couple. Um, so we're going we're to talk a little bit more about that on Ash Wednesday, why, why that service is so important. But one of the things that happens in an Ash Wednesday service is if you would like, then you can have what's called an imposition of the ashes. This is where we take physical ashes and we place them typically on our forehead or on our hand in the sign of a cross, and we are reminded of our mortality. That sounds a little hard, right? Well, Lent is designed to be a little hard. Lent is this 40-day period that takes us from this Wednesday all the way up to Easter Sunday where we are meant to be able to take an honest, hard look at ourselves. The purpose of Lent is, is to be able to look in at, at who we are and what we're doing or, or what we're not doing. And that kind of honesty, that kind of honest reflection is, is hard. The whole season of Lent is, is designed around that, that things are starting to change and be a little different. One way you can tell kind of where we are and keep a rhythm of, of things in, in worship is by the use of color. These are called our church paramounts. And the color will represent kind of where we are in the church year. Today they are white. White normally is reserved to a communion Sunday or else a very special high holy day. That's where we are today, right? Transfiguration Sunday. Next week, the colors all go purple. And that's a big indication that something is changing as we enter into this season of Lent. And we are going to go through looking at some, some hard things with ourselves in Lent. Our, our order of worship will be slightly different. There's going to be more more prayer of confession during Lent. There's going to be more silence in worship as well during Lent. And I think it's by going through this that we will have a greater appreciation when we come out on the other side of Lent, which is a pretty high holy day in the life of every church. In fact, it will be our highest attended worship service of the year, <coughs> Easter Sunday, where we recognize the tomb is empty, right? It's the resurrection. I think by going through Lent, it helps us get to the point of, of Easter a little more impactful for us. But the work during Lent is hard. How, what do we need in our life to go through this hard work of Lent and be able to come out on the other side of Easter? Well, maybe, maybe what we need is transfiguration. Maybe that's why Transfiguration Sunday is always the Sunday before Lent. It's a threshold Sunday, which means that we are walking out of one place through a threshold into another. We have been in the season of epiphany for weeks now. And, and in the season of epiphany, we talk a lot about the light. It began back when those magi came to Jesus and they brought gifts, right? The epiphany Sunday. We recognize Jesus as our Lord and our light and our God. And there's this season of light. And then we come through the threshold of today. And we're getting ready to head into a more difficult season. And it's difficult just because Lent is designed to help make us grow. One of the things we heard at convocation from a preacher 
she was talking about her um, young son. And her young son is growing. And along with growing, sometimes there's naturally come some pain. It's called growing pains, right? And she said, you know, out of the mouth of babe, she said that her son was just crying one day. His legs hurt. He wanted to be carried around. And she was like, it's okay. You're just growing. And he said, but it hurts. I don't want to grow anymore. But I think there are times that each of us say that. Lent is going to be some growing pains for us. But I promise as we walk through Lent together, we will come out on the Easter light of the resurrection with deeper roots in who we are as a faith community and with a stronger reliance on the God who is leading us through this the whole time. One thing about transfiguration then, as we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 17, is Jesus, or hearing God say to listen to Jesus, right? And that's where we're going to settle into here. But before we can get there, there's some other verses Mark read first, right? Like this one in Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days. Do you ever read something like that and you're thinking six days after what? Right? Anybody ever think that? That's good. That's what we want to think when we read Scripture, right? It's not meant to be read in a vacuum. We need to know the fact that Matthew said after six days means that something happened before this which is important. And we need to be able to go back to see what happened before so that we can understand where we are and catch a glimpse of where we're going. All of that process together is called keeping Scripture in context. Alright? So when we go back into Matthew chapter 16, we have a time where Jesus is with Peter and his disciples, and they're talking about who Jesus is. And Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Great question. Every one of us has got to be able to answer that question, okay? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And there's this beautiful moment right then where Jesus says, on that statement of faith, on that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? That is a mountaintop moment in the life of Peter. Read two more verses, and Jesus is like, one day, soon, I am going to die, but I will be raised again. Sometimes when people start talking, have you ever noticed we can catch part of what they're saying, and then we stop listening if they say something we don't want to hear? But that's what happened. Jesus said, I'm going to die. Peter like, shut down. And Peter actually says, no. Not on my watch, right? It's not going to happen as long as I am here with you. In fact, Peter goes on to say, this shall never happen to you. Well, thank God Peter was wrong, right? Or else we would all still be in a world of hurt if Jesus hadn't died. But Jesus wanted to get to the point that I'm going to die, but yet I will raise on the third day. So listen to the whole story. Don't just be shut down when someone says something that you don't agree with. 
hear the rest of what they're saying so that then we've got the full scope and the full story. Jesus has to get to a point where he actually says to Peter, I mean, just, just a day after saying, on that statement, I will build my church. A day later, he has to look at the same person and say, get behind me, Satan. Wow. That's a pretty huge change, right? That's the context of where we are, though. Peter going kind of up and down. It's one thing to know something. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's something else to be able to take what we know and we believe and actually put it into practice in our day-to-day -day lives. That's where Peter is. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm going to die. No, 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 no. Okay? So knowing something, it's different than being able to put that into practice and application in our day-to-day -day life. Well, six days after that, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And he heads up on a high mountain by themselves. Peter, James, and John. I love this picture because if we remember back in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is with his disciples. Typically, we think of like all 12 of them hanging out, right? But there's a whole crowd that's listening to Jesus that day. Jesus has been saying and doing some pretty cool stuff, right? So the crowd is starting to follow. Hungry people. You just got to hang out with Jesus. I'm just saying, right? Because there might be a few thousand of you, but as long as you got a little bit of fish and a couple loaves of bread, this guy's going to take care of it, all right? Blind people who need a little bit of help moving around, you're still going to be get me to him, right? Because he's the one who can do something about my problem. And Jesus is getting ready to head up onto a mountain on what is going to be one of the pinnacles of his earthly existence so far, right? Transfiguration. And I see Jesus with the group, and he picks three. Picks Peter, James, and John. And I think that's significant. I think it's significant for us because sometimes we want to take everybody with us, right? And maybe... For Jesus to show Peter, James, and John what he's going to show them on the mountaintop means that it's got to be a smaller group. Maybe having three that you can trust. Maybe having three that you are doing life with right now. Maybe having three people right now you could call and say, come up on the mountain with me. Or having three that you can call and say, I need you to go down this valley with me. That's important. I want you to think right now a little bit about who your three would be. Because as we move through the season of Lent, that's going to be important to us. Who are our three? Jesus doesn't take everybody with him up on the mountain because honestly, not everybody's ready to go. So Jesus takes three with him and he heads up. And I love that imagery as well as we're looking at those pictures of mountains. There's something important about being able to go up, right? When you go up, you are naturally going to leave some other stuff behind. When you go up with a few people, you are naturally going to leave some other people behind. Now, you're going to come back down to them, which is going to be the sad reality for Peter and for some other disciples in the church today. We can't just stay on the mountaintop. we got to take that and then come back down to the other people and the other situations that we find ourselves in. But it's important when we've got our group together, and that's what Jesus does. He gets his three, they head up onto the mountain, 
And then it happened, right? Matthew doesn't give us any small talk. There's like, no, hey guys, don't freak out. But this is going to get pretty real and pretty intense here, right? Matthew just said they, they headed up onto the tall or high mountain by themselves, and there he was transfigured before them. Whatever that means. Matthew here says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. The transfiguration is something that, that artists have tried to capture on stained glass and canvas. The transfiguration is something that, that writers and poets have tried to capture in lyric and in melody. The transfiguration is something that preachers try to boil down to three points in one prayer to describe what happened. But Matthew simply says that he was transfigured before them. And I think what happens here on this mountaintop is that Jesus showed his glory in a new and profound way. It's like as Jesus was with them, he, he slipped out of the, 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 the skin of humanity and he let his God glory bones just shine through for just a moment for them. And it's dazzling, and it's bright, and it's white, and it's amazing, and they don't know what to do in a moment like that, right? And, and it's not just that, because then two other people show up. Did you catch that? Moses and Elijah stood there with Jesus. Now Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. What's interesting about these two guys is one of them we know, um, well, I was going to say they've been dead for about a thousand years at this point, but Elijah's death was kind of interesting, if we can call it that. Do you remember how Elijah left this world and headed into the next, right? Elijah is caught up in a whirlwind, right? It's chariots of fire, right? Do y'all, do, do you see Elijah, is he in slow motion when he's going toward the chariot? When, when we <laughs> You know what I mean? And I don't know. I, that's not in the Bible. It's just something I picture. Um, Moses, interestingly enough, we're not told how Moses died. Um, tradition is that God may have taken Moses without him experiencing death. I don't know if that's true or not. It's not in the Bible, but it is interesting. These are the two guys who stand there with Jesus. And what are they doing with Jesus? Did you catch that? They're talking. They're shooting the breeze with Jesus, right? I don't know what they were saying, and there's a whole lot we could do with that, but I would love to have been like a fly on the rock on that mountain and just heard some of that conversation. And that's where Peter, James, and John, the three, this is what they get to see, the transfiguration of Jesus, this amazing moment. What do you do in a moment of glory and amazement like this? Well, if you're Peter, you start talking. If you're Michael, you just start talking, right? Sometimes we use lots of words. And a person who uses lots of words will invariably say something that maybe they didn't need to say at that particular moment, okay? Peter is one of those people. I think at times I am one of those people as well. And what Peter says is, this is good. It's good to be here. You think? <laughs> it's like the understatement of, of Peter's life so far. It's good. This is good, man. Why don't we hang out here? Let me put up 
three shelters or shrines. Um, pitch a tent is another way to think about it. But the point is, Peter wants to stay there. And I get that. Some people bad now Peter and they bash him a little bit, like, well, he's missing the significance of the transfiguration. Well, we would have missed it too. Or better yet, have you ever been in a situation where you have felt truly, truly the love of God? Have you ever had one of those moments where you know, He loves me. Oh, oh, He loves me. Where you know you are forgiven of your sin. Where you know that you are in a right relationship with God. Have you ever had one of those holy goosebump moments where you just feel like I am in the presence of God. I'm just saying for all of us, that's where we want to stay. That's the point of our existence. It's where our entire lives are headed one day to experience that for all eternity. And when we have those moments, we just want to stay where we are. And that's what Peter does as well. Peter starts talking. This is good because we don't want to just be quiet. Silence for many of us is uncomfortable. So Peter is filling the silent, holy, glory-filled moment with some words. And maybe they're not the words he wishes that he would have said. But honestly, the Gospel of Mark says Peter said this because he didn't know what else to say. And sometimes when we don't know what else to say, we just start using a lot of words. And then while he is still speaking, <coughs> God interrupts him. Sometimes I think God needs to interrupt us. Sometimes even while I'm still speaking, I need to be interrupted. Not literally today, but in my relationship and where I am with God. And that's what happens to Peter. And a voice comes from heaven that says, This is my son with whom, whom I love and with him I am. Play a little Bible Jeopardy here. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Are those exact words found in another place in the Bible for 200 points? Yes, they are. Very good. All right, so now we're moving to the 400-point question. Are you with me? Where in the Bible or at what event in the Bible did those exact words from God be spoken over Jesus once before? Is baptism, right? Very good. Okay, so what gospel writer, for the thousand point question, actually said at Jesus' baptism that the heavens opened, the Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven said these exact words, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Matthew, right? The same place we are today. It's, if you want to go back, it's in Matthew chapter 3, which is where Jesus' baptism is. The exact same words are spoken at Jesus' baptism and at his transfiguration. And here's the thing. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that the reason why it's the exact same is because maybe there's a connection between baptism and transfiguration. When we think of baptism, sometimes we reduce it to we're going to bring the little baby in to be baptized. Right? To be even worse, we don't use that word. We use words like dedicate or christen. 
It's only one thing that we christen, and you sail on it in the water, okay? It's called a ship. Babies, we baptize. I know we have a, a want to, let's call the family in and take the pictures and put them in the whites and, and kind of have a fun time about it. But I want you to think for a minute about what baptism is. See, it is in baptism when we pray to God to wash away sin. We pray for God to come down and get in the life of this person. Right? If it's a child, we are praying for God to fill this child with his Holy Spirit. And then all of us who are here as the church, we make vows and promises and commitments. We are going to stay with this child. We are going to help this child. We are at times going to get down on this child's level. And we are going to remind them how loved they are and how great God is and how majestic he is. And that we're going to do this life together in baptism. We pray for God to pour out His Holy Spirit on this water. We pray for God to wash away sin with this water. We pray for God's Spirit to be in that water. And then that through dying and living, we might be with Christ. In baptism, we pray that we would experience God until He comes again in final victory and we share in His glory. It's the glory of God that is happening at the transfiguration. I think maybe God begins the transfiguring work in us at baptism. And one day God is going to bring it to completion in an amazing transfiguration. But it's in this process that I believe that God is working in us. And it starts, it starts in baptism. Yet Jesus, as Jesus is with them, the voice from heaven in Matthew 17 adds a few extra words. Did you catch what the three words are that are said in Matthew 17 that are not said at Jesus' baptism? What are they? Listen to him. The Gospel of Matthew records a lot of what Jesus says. In fact, Matthew has more of what Jesus says than any other Gospel writer. So pick your topic. If you want to know what Jesus had to say on that topic, check out Matthew, because there's a good chance Jesus covers it in there. And if perhaps Jesus does not cover it in Matthew, maybe it's not as much of a big deal as perhaps we make it. So from Matthew chapter 4... Through Matthew chapter 17, Jesus used a lot of words. Jesus said a lot of things from Matthew chapter 4, right after his baptism, up through Matthew chapter 17 at the moment of his transfiguration. We talked about some of those in Living the Good Life, right? Blessed are you. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus talked about anger and um, murder and lust and adultery and all these things. <coughs> Then after that, Jesus continued teaching his disciples. He, he talked to people who were blind and told them they could see. He talked to people who were lame and couldn't walk and told them to get up. He, he spoke words of calm to rainstorms and thunderstorms so that it stilled. He said words to a woman like, your faith has healed you. Now go and sin no more. 
He said words of, of, of encouragement and hope to his disciples as well as words of, of rebuke and correction. Jesus said words about his death and resurrection. Jesus said words about the fact that one day he would come again. All that in between Matthew 4 and 17. But here's the thing. Just because Jesus said a lot of words doesn't mean that everybody listened to what Jesus was saying. To really listen to someone, you need to pay attention. In the 1970s, there was a commercial that was out um, that said, when E.F. Hutton talked, people listened. Anybody remember that? E.F. Yeah. E. Hutton was a brokerage firm. Okay, So E.F. Hutton talked about your money. So when people talked about your money, that was something really important. So you wanted to listen to what they had to say about such an important topic. And yet Jesus has many important things that he is talking about to us as well. I wonder, can we allow the silence of our souls to hush the internal and the external noise? To allow the voice of God to be heard? in our personal lives. This is my son whom my love. Listen to him. In our church, we have two sacraments. What are they? Communion. Communion and baptism. And yet sometimes I think that maybe silence is a sacramental gift of God to us as well. Maybe we don't hear what God is saying to us. Because we have to hear all the other noises that are going on in our lives. To listen, maybe we have to remove some internal distractions that are going on. Thoughts like, what am I going to have for lunch? Did I turn the coffee pot off when I left? I can't believe last week was the series finale of Criminal Minds. <laughs> but we have to remove external <coughs> distractions as well. Oftentimes, if I walk into a room and Heather's watching TV, she will mute the TV. Many times if Heather and I are watching a movie and it's kind of date night and Anthony comes in on Friday night, he walks in the living room, Heather will oftentimes pause or mute the TV. And that's a sign, I believe, of what you're getting ready to say is important to me. And I want to listen. I want to give my full attention to you to actually listen and hear what it is that you have to say. Maybe it is turning off the TV or putting down the cell phone. Maybe it is opening the eyes of our hearts to where we can really see Jesus and, 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 and listen. And that's what prayer is supposed to be anyway, right? But could you imagine for a moment if we spent more time listening than talking in prayer? Could you imagine one Sunday morning if I said, let us pray, and you bow your head and close your eyes, and I don't say a word? How long would it take before you did that little, you know, that little one IP? <laughs> it's like you're not completely out of the room yet, but I just want to look and see, you know? Or would you just raise up both, like, well, are you going to pray or not? I wonder what it would be like if we allowed quiet spaces to where we could really hear and listen to what God is saying. Because to hear something is involuntary. 
You don't have to do anything to hear. When I smack the podium, you hear the sound because your ears just did their job and they sent the transmission to your brain to listen. Is a, to listen takes time to be able to focus on what the other person is saying. And maybe we need that other person to get down on our level. Maybe that's why God did this whole incarnation. It's to get on our level so where we could listen to what it is that he actually has to say. But sometimes we get focused on filling silent moments with words or with action or with music or with anything else just because the sound of silence can be deafening. Silence can be uncomfortable to us at times, which is why we have the need to fill all the silent moments with something. And I wonder if at those times God is not saying, shh, be still and know that I am God. To listen to Jesus, I am more and more convinced that we need more and more times of, of silence. Peter, James, and John had that moment when when God says, listen to me. And they fall down on the ground. And then they listen. And they hear Jesus say, get up. Don't do it. They physically feel Jesus to reach out and touch them. And when, when they looked up, this is, this is my cue every Sunday, so I never know how far I'm going. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm anticipating Right, stay with us a minute. Verse 8 says, When they looked up, they saw only Jesus. Here's the thing. Maybe they saw only Jesus at that moment because at that moment is when they realized that Jesus was all they Today I want to offer you a two-minute sacrament of silence to be able to listen to what God is saying to you in your life right now. The altar is open this morning if you would like to pray. You can pray right where you are. Will you join me as we ask God to speak to us as his servants? Because we are listening. Let's pray. seeking to come in and, and force themselves into these moments. 
during this season of Lent, we're gonna, we're gonna practice this a little more. A practice called Lectia, it's, it's holy listening, right? We're gonna seek to really listen to what God is speaking into us. Because I believe that the same words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism and at his transfiguration are the same words that God is speaking into us today. That God is saying to us that you're my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. God is speaking words of love and affirmation into each one of us. And so many times we don't hear it because of all the other noises and sounds that are going on around us. I just wonder if we take this Lent season and we try to slow it down a little bit. And we try to really hear what it is that God is saying to us. What well, might we be able to listen and to, for one time, really hear? Today, our closing hymn is this beautiful song called Worship His Majesty. And in the words of this song, we're just going to sing it through one time. But I want this to be an expression of where you might be in this transfiguration moment. What do you do in the presence of God? Worship God. Just be. You don't need to do anything. We don't need to say anything. Just to be able to have these moments. To know that God loves us. God hears us. God is with us. And in response to that, all we can do is worship. Will you stand as you're able?
We get an opportunity to go tell it on the mountain, and now we're called to take it down with us, back into our families, into our school, into our work, into our church, and share the glory of God that we have seen, knowing that the same glory of God resides in others. As we go from this place, let us go in that glory. In the name of Jesus, amen, and be blessed. Thank you.